There was kind of this, the Christian romanticism, like, oh, we're gonna save this, we're gonna bring this child in and rescue them, and, and then all of a sudden, kind of all hell breaks loose, and it's like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Perhaps nothing is harder than watching someone you love choose a life that will hurt them. Today, we're joined by Judy Douglas, who shares about her life with a prodigal son. More than anything, she emphasizes how the journey alongside a beloved prodigal is never easy, but always worth it. Before we join Gary and our guest, please take a moment to check out David Wilkerson's audiobook, Have You Felt Like Giving Up Lately? It's available now as a free download at worldchallenge.org. Your support makes a difference. Please consider donating to power the mission and make World Challenge resources like our audiobooks and this podcast possible. Now, here's our host, Gary Wilkerson. Uh, welcome to the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us here today. We're continuing um, talking about issues that I believe are really important in our lives, real down-to-earth stuff. And so we're thrilled to have with us in the studio today, Judy Douglas. Welcome, Judy. Thrilled to have you with us. Absolutely delighted to be here. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you, Gary. You just shared to our staff at a devotion a really precious message about mercy and love and grace, mm-hmm. when, particularly in dealing with prodigals. So um, you've written this book called uh, When um, You Love a Prodigal, and uh, uh, you're also you and your husband are presidents and leaders of Crew. Uh, some people know it formerly as Campus Crusade for Christ, but it's Correct. Crew. And uh, this book really <clears throat> ministered to me and my wife. Uh, it's it's uh, something that we have dealt with in our family more and than we wanted to. Almost everyone knows someone. Yeah. Who yeah. is making those kind of destructive choices? Right. Right. Is this a topic you were always thinking about, interested in, or did something happen in your life that sort of piqued your well, heart's interest in this. Yes, <clears throat> it stabbed me in the stabbed heart, more likely. Just touched. Um, <clears throat> yes, uh, we had two wonderful girls and uh, had moved from California to Florida. And God said, I have a gift for you. I'm sending you a son. Mm. I said, okay. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't really looking to have more children. And okay. um he said, well, I'll take care of it for you. Mm. And so we'd only been there a few weeks when a new friend said, do you know someone who could take an eight-year-old boy? And I went, mm, maybe. And God said, this is the gift I have for you. Mm. And so it took a year with the county and everything. He'd been taken from his birth mother because of neglect and the danger she put him in. She's an alcoholic and drug addict and a lot of unsavory people around. And um, and so they were looking for a home and they were he was going into foster care and God said, yep, he is my gift for you. Mm. Took a while and he was almost 10 when he came to live with us. Okay. And uh, How old were your daughters at this time? Uh, they were 11 and Let's see, almost 10, yeah, 10, okay. 10 and 12, that's okay. what they were. Yes. You know, that was a long time ago. Uh, yeah. so, so <laughs> Numbers Brent, and I are yeah. not good friends. <laughs> but you brought somebody into their life, not just your, your husband, that is but right. their life, uh, at, and somebody who's kind of the same age as them, but yet came from a, uh, could not have been more opposite background that he came from than what your daughters were experiencing, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. They both knew Jesus. They were mostly doing uh, walking with God. They were certainly doing well in school and uh, were good kids, yeah. you know. And then this boy comes in with so many needs. Uh, he's going into 
third grade at almost 10 mm. and um, could barely read or write because his mom had not taken him to school very much. Mm. And we it was shocking to both of us when he came because it, I don't know who more so. For him, it was shocking, one, that you didn't stay up all night watching whatever you wanted okay. and eating yeah. chips and dip for meals. And that we had regular meals, we had regular bedtime, and oh, he went to school every day. Wow. And uh, one was day he said, I, I'm not feeling very good, I better not go to school. And I kind of run through things, no, I don't have a stomachache. No. Then you're going to school. Mm. If you're if you're dying, then you don't have to go to school. But otherwise, you're going to school. Wow. And so those were shocking for us. His unbelievable need for attention. Uh, he just was desperate for people to pay attention. To was him. he in um, foster care before he came well, to you? He, was he with came his... straight. Well, he'd been staying with his grandparents okay. for a while, but they had, were already raising his half sister, mm. and they said we we can't do it. We can't add him. Yeah. And though that was hurtful to him it was true and so he came straight to us from their home and he he was used to not knowing even what his next meal would be Mm -hmm. and so one of the things that I found out is that for people in poverty or homelessness um, for children especially their main source of vegetables is Ketchup packets, ketchup packet, yeah. and right, so yeah. I would find that he had hoarded. He would, we would go to a fast food place, and he'd picked up all the ketchup wow. packets that he could fit in his pockets, yeah. and they were in his room. Well, there's sugar in those little packets too, so it's probably a little bit of a sweet. Yes, wow, and that's, so that's, um, that's, that's sad. He just he yeah. had a lot of needs. He was ADD. He had a learning disability. Um, his brain had some patterning issues because his drugs and alcohol his mother had when she was carrying him. And so we just had a lot on our hands right. with him that we really weren't prepared for. What was the first, uh, let's, let's take a look at the first two months, two to three months, uh, the initial adjustment period. <clears throat> what was it like for you personally? Well, it, it all of a sudden, my life, which I was involved with our ministry and caring for our daughters, and he became almost the only thing I was paying attention okay. to yeah. because he just needed attention. He needed um, some parameters for his life, some boundaries. Right. And Was that uh, more than you expected? More than I expected. Yeah. And at school, what, to discover he really could barely read or write, wow. and so we got a tutor for him. I found this uh, doctor who did brain repatterning exercises mm-hmm. to try and overcome some of the stuff that his mother's drugs and alcohol had caused in his brain. And so every day for an hour for over a year, we did these brain patterning exercises, Mm -hmm. which he grew very weary of, and so did I. But but mostly he just was a little resistant to anything that we wanted him to do. He wasn't angry, he just was trying to keep his boundaries. it, for most kids like that, it's called RAD, re- Reactive Attachment Disorder. Mm-hmm. And if the people in your life haven't been there for you, right. then you don't believe anyone will be. Yeah. And so he was sure we would just be like the others in his life yeah. who had not been there for him. Yeah, yeah. we've talked in this podcast quite a bit in the past about attachment, how, how necessary it is, particularly in the first few years. Uh, without that, oh. I was years ago in, in an orphanage in Romania, and the kids had no one ever paying attention. They just bought him a meal 
and they just yes. were in their cribs, and they had their, their brains not had not developed. They couldn't speak yes. well. They couldn't walk. They could hardly even walk, and let alone run. And all of that, the doctors later I found out was from just that simple thing—a lack of somebody holding them, holding them, them so, as children. Yeah, so, and he probably so wasn't entirely lacking that. Right, His no, mother but, tried but to, to be a good mother to yeah, him, yeah. but. Her addictions won out over yeah. and over. Yeah, so. most kids like that. Uh, I, it's not carte blanche, but I, you know, my experience is that they. What's hard for them, and you know, uh, before Josh came to you, is uh, the uh, the unknowing. Uh, is my mom might be here today, and she might take me to the park, and we might feed ducks, and and I'm thinking life's going to be good, and the next day she comes home and she's drunk and she's yelling at me. You know, I, I'm not sure that was his experience, but a lot well, of, somewhat, and, and to some degree, then. You know, it's almost like scarier because you just you, you just have no knowledge of what's happening next, and that's yeah. His grandparents had set him up in a little his mother and him in a little trailer in a trailer park, kind mm. of, and um, so every once in a while the neighbors would call the grandparents and say she's gone again. You better mm-hmm. come get the boy. Uh, and so uh, it, at least uh, they were there for him, but that they couldn't keep him was very devastating yeah, to him. Yeah. I want to talk about your daughters first, and then I want to ask you about the first few months as composed to the, the next year or so. But uh, So the first few months, how was it for your daughters? Well, they were mm-hmm. excited about a little brother. Okay. <laughs> and and they had a, we didn't do this without their agreement. Yeah. So they said, yeah, we should do that. They were generous people on the whole. Yeah. Um, when they at, first start, saw him act out a bit, uh, did he? Uh, well, was he, was they, he showing much anger at first? Like, like no, he wasn't. A, like he wasn't yelling, angry. screaming, throwing things. No, no, okay. He just was grabbing attention. He any time, like if it was someone else's birthday, it didn't matter. Everything had him. to center around him, and yeah. that was annoying to them. <laughs> but they were patient at first, yeah. and and probably they were patient mostly, yeah. but it. It grew difficult for them because, probably more because they lost my attention, mm-hmm. which is to me the hardest thing personally. That I did the, the worst thing I did, in my opinion, in my choosing to give attention to him who needed it desperately, but I therefore neglected my daughter some, mm-hmm. and we've talked about it. Yeah. And they've forgiven me, yeah. but. Um, but that makes me sad mm-hmm. that I missed out on those important years of their life of some. I was there for all their soccer games and mm-hmm. my other daughter's art stuff. We, I did things. Right. But still, he stole a lot, and that was hard for them. Is that his um – is that that's from the RAD, or is that is a little bit of his personality? Because some people are just like, sort of born like that. They just want to be the, 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 the center it, of attention. It's, it's probably both. Is he like that a little bit today? Is he still likes to be the life of the party? Mm, that kind oh, of? not as much. Okay. No, he's, yeah, so that was the need for the deficit of attention. Was, I think, the, I think a, that was a, a lot a of craving mm-hmm. in his heart for that. Yeah. Yeah. So the after, so there's this, um, you know, when, when I um, do conferences, I speak in conferences and I talk about this issue some, and oftentimes I'll ask the audience, like, how many of you have a prodigal in your life? And I'm shocked about 80% yes. have somebody, not just distant. That's how my life. book got published. Oh, okay. Yeah, because there's so <laughs> many people that, yeah, they, they see this title and they're going to going to want to get that how to love them not only just to not, not not i'm glad you just put up how to endure a prodigal you know like you could have entitled that but uh, to love you them could, is, is that step that god wants us to take uh, but you know so there's 80 percent of them are dealing with that and some of them is similar story to yours it's somebody they brought into their family um 
and there's that. I've heard the story of I don't know how it was for you, but there's kind of this the Christian romanticism, like, oh, we're going to save this. We're going to bring this child in and rescue them. And, and then all of a sudden, kind of all hell breaks loose. And it's like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Did you guys experience that at all or no? We did. Okay. I don't know that we, because it was so clearly that God had sent him to us, yeah. we're like, okay, we'll do the best we can and depend on God for that. It took a lot more than we knew that okay. it was going to. But I know so many people who have done foster care or mm -hmm. adopted and for all of them, it is almost always harder than they thought it would be. For some, it's extremely harder than yeah. they thought it would be. They just, even if you, you know, in the process of getting accepted to do this, you're supposed to learn these things. Mm -hmm. We had no idea. I had never heard of RAD at that time, right. and I did not understand all that he had been through and that that's trauma, mm -hmm. um, the, the abuse that he experienced, the abandonment that he experienced. Anybody now who diagnoses these things would say, mm -hmm. those are cases of PTSD. Mm -hmm. And we think of it, it's just military people. Yeah. And, it, and it's not just military not people. Yeah. And, and PTSD may not show up for a while, and and so you're you have no clue that you're going to run into mm -hmm. somebody who has been traumatized <coughs> right. and that they're going to have to deal with that and therefore you're going to have to deal with mm -hmm. that. And it's it's a wonderful gift that you can give mm -hmm. to a child to be able to bring them into your home and love them and do those things. But mm, it will not be the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. And people assume, well, if you if I adopt a, a brand new baby straight from the birth to us, then that'll take care of it. No, hmm. because there's a hole in their heart that there's a book about that, hmm. that they, they knew that mother. Mm -hmm. And even, um, and this isn't that mother, that person. Yeah. And so it's, there's a lot of issues that people are increasingly understanding. And I hope Therefore, people are learning. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing to do, but it will be harder than you think. That's good advice. Yeah, to to make sure it's God. Make sure that God. God is telling you yeah. to do this, and that's yeah. what I tell people. They say, "Well, should we think of adopting?" I said, "Well, actually, everyone should, mm -hmm. because that's what God did. Mm -hmm. yeah. He adopted oh, us, yeah. and and He says we're to care for the homeless and the fatherless. Yeah. And so, absolutely, we should ask the question: mm -hmm. Do you?" want us to do this but you better hear him mm -hmm. and not do it unless you have that no. because it will take supernatural wisdom and strength and endurance and love yeah to yeah. be able to live through it well well reading your book it's obviously that god gave that to you that supernatural strength and love because he you know <clears throat> it's, it's sort of it's not it's not a story of you know you he came in your home at 10 and then also you know and then, oh, praise God, everything got worked out well from that point on. You, <laughs> you, you hit some real roadblocks there. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened in his life, you know, say from 10 to 18 or so? Yeah. I'll try to be brief. Okay. <laughs> um, at first, it was just for the three years he was a foster child. It was primarily dealing with his educational issues and his attention needs and the ADD mm -hmm. and uh, his resistance to any kind of structure in his life. And those were 
well, and the chaos that he is friends. It was like we basically had a peaceful home, and he came in, and it was chaotic. He was noisy. He was never-ending motion, and his friends were similar that he would make friends. And, and so that was challenging. Um, when we adopted him, we really thought it would change, that there would be a security in that. Mm -hmm. And it didn't happen at all. Mm -hmm. it, he went into middle school, and middle school, as everyone knows, is a challenging place. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, he was in a Christian school. Hmm. Uh, but it was, no, not then. That was in elementary. We put him in a public school. He begged. And that was a hard place, hmm. and partly because he's t almost two years older than most of the kids. Right. And he became quite a bully, partly because of his ADD. The teachers were always unhappy with him, um, partly because of his learning disability, which is a storage retrieval issue. You put it in, and then you're going to take a test on it, and you can't find it okay. in your brain. And it's not because he didn't study. It's not because he wasn't smart. Yeah. It's because this has happened okay. in his brain hmm. from his mother's drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And so those things were really challenging. But then he joined a gang, hmm. and the school was threatening to kick him out. So that's when we went to this program, a wonderful Christian program, but not easy to, to live through, hmm. uh, but, but worth it for sure. Not easy, why? Um, well, one of their approaches is they have to learn to live with uh, rules, and so they had 100,000 rules, it okay. felt like, right. so that they were sure to break many of them, yeah. and there would be consequences every time. And, um, and so there was resistance there. Uh, probably it was hard for me because of something that happened. The night that while he was there, he met Jesus. His his house dad led him to Christ. His house dad's still in his life. Mm. Wonderful couple. Mm. They work for Youth for Christ. And um, anyway, so he called me to say that Josh had just met Jesus mm. and they had baptized him. And that night, I had a conversation with God and it, it's, it was almost like a vision of God's above me and he has this huge vat and he's opening me up and he's pouring into me what's in this vat. Hmm. And I said, what is that? And he says, that's my love for Josh. I'm going to share it with you. Hmm. And then he said, you're going to need it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, thank you, but, uh, uh, but that was very real. Was that a residential program Josh was in? Or was yes, it, so, it was so residential, but it was in Orlando. Okay. And we had to be very involved in it. Yeah. And so what okay. happened was that night, it was like he was born in my heart as my son. Mm. Before that, he's this boy we're taking care of. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I was in love with him. Wow. And the program had no sympathy for that at all and so they were very restrictive and anything that they thought that I was too involved which was silly because they wanted us involved but right. then they would get after me and mm -hmm. uh, and so it was hard to have him at the time when I would love to be connecting more with him and we were on Sunday afternoons when we went to spend time with him mm -hmm. but it was it was just hard for him because it was so restrictive and he learned, like most of the kids did, you learn to work the program. Mm -hmm. And so he learned to do what he had to do to go graduate up mm -hmm. the, 
to the next stage right. so that he would get out. Okay. And he, he became good at that. But um, it was just, it was a challenging time, but it was still good because he did learn and grow a lot. And when he came home from that, he was in a good place, wanting to walk with the Lord, wanting to make good choices for his life. It must have been encouraging to you. Yeah. Oh, and, very. You, your you're hopeful. The, uh, okay, yeah. we've, we've come to a new place. Yeah. Um, I've, I've experienced that as well, that, that up and down, that roller coaster. It's almost harder than, yeah. than if they're sort of like staying in one, you know, either staying good or staying bad because you know it's consistent, but that, that roller coaster thing can really break the heart. You know, it, can, it does. Yeah. And, and he, I, was, I had started homeschooling him to catch him up, and then he begged, begged, begged to go back to school. And so we said, all right, we'll try it with, you know, all sorts of boundaries. <laughs> of Is he things. in high school at this time or not yet? He was uh, ninth grade. Okay, yeah. So that's high school. Yeah. And because he's two years older, he has a driver's license. Oh, okay. Oh. And his grandfather, grandparents gave him a car. Mm. And so he's going to school. And I don't think it was even three weeks before he was back with his old friends. Yeah. And they just increasingly made bad choices, and um, school was an issue. Um, I asked the school to tell me when he wasn't there, and they didn't do it. Mm. And so he was skipping after first period most of the time, which took me weeks to months maybe to find out. So after one semester there, where he did pass keyboarding, typing, and weightlifting, mm -hmm. uh, and nothing else, mm -hmm. um, he came home and I homeschooled him the rest of the time, yeah. and um, which was not something I ever thought I would do. All the way to his graduation, mm -hmm. you homeschooled him? Yeah. When he turned 18, which of course he's two years ahead kind of age-wise, he says, I don't have to do school anymore. Mm -hmm. I said, you're right, you don't. And so he said, well, I quit. I said, your choice. And I said, you'll be sorry. Mm -hmm. And after about six months, and nobody would hire him because he didn't have a a high school right. diploma, he came back, he said, can I finish school? Mm. I said, it's up to you. I'm willing to give you another chance, but you have to do it. I can't do it for you. Yeah. And so he did, and he did finish, and he graduated mm. top in his class <laughs> since he was the only one. We did a whole graduation ceremony, and it was a big deal mm -hmm. that he finished high school because that was not a something that looked like it was going to happen. Yeah. Right. And uh, we did creative work in there. His, the supervisor I was under at this program for the school said, I think this is the most creative education I've ever seen. <laughs> because of his learning disability, I had to turn things into things that would work for him. Right. So mostly he did um, uh, open book tests, mm -hmm. and he learned actually a better skill than memorizing. He learned how to find what you need. Yeah. And he could do it, and so it, it was. It was good. The nicest thing that's happened for him educationally is YouTube. Yeah. Now, because he doesn't learn by reading, he anything he wants to know how to do, he watches a YouTube and he can do it. Yeah. And I go, boy, if they'd had that when he was in school. Well, <laughs> uh, but while he was graduating, he was still in the gang and still mm. was no, no, at that point. Well. <clears throat> Not a gang, no, he okay. wasn't. They, they, he had been. Drugs and alcohol or no? Yeah, yeah. oh okay. yeah. 
So that, and, that was a season you were talking about this morning about him, that, that nervous time in your life where you didn't know whether it would be the hospital or the police. Uh-huh. This it was, was around that time he was... It was during that, that time. Yeah. He had friends. Some of them were neighborhood. Some of them were gang friends. Some of them were from school. They were, yeah. you know, he had a group of people, and all of them were making bad choices. They joked over... Several of them had the same probation officer. And, uh, and so they would, they would get drunk. Mm. They would go party. They had girls. And my husband and I are traveling a lot at this time. And the girls are uh, in college or about. And, um, and so it was challenging to, um, to make sure that until they're 18, you don't get to suggest they're moving out. <laughs> Uh, so we were trying to uh, help him. So we had a, a wonderful man, young man who worked with Crew, who became his friend. And whenever we traveled, he would come and stay at our house. And Josh joked. He said, so is, is Larry my babysitter? I went, oh, no. Larry's here just to watch the house so you and your friends don't destroy it. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, But I just had a conversation with Larry the other night. And he loves Josh. And Josh loves him. And they have a good relationship. So God brought people into his life, which were part of the roller coaster, actually. Mm -hmm. There was Larry. There was Josh McDowell who came into his life and yeah. kept him for a whole month. Uh, when Steve was became president of, of Crew, Josh said, "I have a gift for you." He says, "I'm going to take your son for a month." We wow. said, <laughs> "Okay." <laughs> that was a wonderful time. And Josh yeah. comes home and he's ready to walk with God. And then there was this young Christian surfer who started spending time with him, and and God did that over and over. And so he would be crashing, and somebody would. Yeah. come in his life and then he would come back and try and make good choices but he yeah. just didn't have any ability to stick to those things yeah, but himself. having having especially with somebody with that attachment disorder having the, those mentors and those friends and that that community surrounding you. i was just reading the last couple of days the, the parallel of uh, john 5 and uh, mark 2 mark 2 is the, uh, the the men lay they come before men and they break through the roof because they couldn't get to Jesus. So this this guy was a paralytic, but he had obviously somebody yes. that loved him and cared mm -hmm. for him to bring him to Jesus and lay him right. at his feet. He had to get up himself after he hears the command. But you know, so he, he, people can bring you to Jesus, but you got to get up and follow him. Uh, but then the other guy at the pool of Bethesda, uh, he says, "I have I have nobody, no, I have nobody." And so he's there 38 years. So definitely, I see I see in that, you know, I see that in my own son's life you know you see that in josh's life that these friends i think they're they are where they are today not just because of praying parents which i think is certainly is, is, I, I thank god all the time for the people that he brought in yeah. to our son's yeah. life and you said that this morning like you to be, to be intentional about trying to get people to move into their life a little bit and then don't be afraid to ask like please come over and and i did that with larry and larry yeah. proved true to do that yeah. he was very faithful Wonderful. he's yeah. the one who bailed him out of jail one time. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. It oh, was a wonderful pleasure. conversation. And I know it's going to be so helpful for all of us who are um, wanting to love like you were talking about, the kind of love here. And the book is called When You Love a Prodigal and uh, 90 Days of Grace for the Wilderness. Pick it up uh, on Amazon or uh, anywhere. Or anywhere. It's going to have it in bookstores. Yeah. yeah. Thank you again. God bless Thank you. Thank you so much, Gary. God bless you. Thank you. Josh's life has been a testament to God's unfailing love and grace. Next week, Judy shares how God began to speak to her in unique ways as a result of becoming Josh's mother. 
She had her own journey to take and lessons to learn about who God is in her life. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, sound design for this episode by Mike Hallsmith. This episode was written by Rachel Schimitz, our producer is Chris Wigington, with video production by Aaron Gale. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting. We hope you tune in next week to the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. Until then, do all you can to live a better life and make a better world through Jesus Christ.